Thank you, Pastor Tyler. And I was sitting there when he said he, he had him sing again. And he said, we want to get to preaching. I was literally right before you said that, Pastor Tyler. I thought, man, I wouldn't mind if we just kept singing the whole service. I don't, I, I've heard this message before, so I don't need to hear it again. I came up with, well, hopefully the Lord came up with it. But, um, but I, I love the song service here, love the music. And really, I could, I could sing. We've done a few times in our church uh, where we've taken just an hour, hour and a half, and just music, a whole service centered around music. And I would love to, I'll, I'll, uh, we can cancel the preacher tonight and just sing tonight for an hour, hour and a half. I love your music ministry, the choir, beautiful, and the congregational, the corporate worship. As he mentioned, I've been helped and edified. And just to see the, you can, you can hear it in a church. And I mentioned this to Brother Prater uh, in the break there. What's happening here in the spirit of this place isn't everywhere. And that, don't let that lift you up in pride. That's God's grace and that's God's glory. But, but this is a special place and there's a special spirit and, uh, and, and an authenticity of love for the Lord that is evident and obvious in your song. Music is an expression of the heart. And if you have a hard time singing, it doesn't mean if you're not, I'm not saying if you're not good at singing, I'm not very good at it, but if you have a hard time expressing yourself through song, you might want to take a little bit of, of inventory. Uh, that's a gift that God gave to us to give back to Him, and it's a, it's a, it ministers to our hearts. And so beautiful, beautiful singing. And I enjoyed every bit of it. I don't normally do this. I met yesterday from Nigeria, right? This couple right here moved here from about a year ago. I don't normally say this, Pastor Tyler, but I'm going to have to take you guys back with me to Southern California, all right? You're going to have to move back. I love, I really, I, I stood there and almost got tears in my eyes as I watched them just sincerely worship and praise the Lord. And many of you, and I, I didn't get to turn around and see the rest of the crowd, but the choir to see the sincerity of it. And uh, I love the spirit of this place. And you guys need to come out. I'll take you to Disneyland and we'll... Uh, we'll live there. And you bring a little of that to my church, all right? We could use it. Psalm 150 is going to mess up some of our churches, isn't it, Brother Tyler? And uh, just praise and worship to the Lord. And I love it. I think maybe a, a, some of us American Christians could take a trip to Nigeria. Get a little of that spirit. I like it. I love it. And I love the sincerity of heart. And, and everyone doesn't have to do as the Lord leads you. But I just love to see people that have a heart to sincerely worship and praise God. And if I tried to stand up and do that, the Bible does say there's a time to dance. It wouldn't look quite like that, though. Mine wouldn't look as good as that. But anyways... I think we have, do we have a picture of my family there? I showed this on Friday night, but this will just make you like me a little more than my better half. And my wife Tiffany there, for those that weren't here Friday night. And we have five children, ages 18 down to six. Our oldest is my daughter wearing the hat there, Ashlyn. And then Titus, TJ, Trey, and Annalise. And I thank God for my family. We've been focusing on the family and, and on marriage and things. My wife Tiffany and I, we just celebrated last week 21 years of marriage. And uh, thank you. She deserves the applause, not me. But uh, I appreciate the applause. I'll, I'll tell her that you sent those warm regards there. And, uh, and she told me, she said, Ryan, being married to you these 21 years, it's, it's been like a walk in the park. Jurassic Park. And uh, some of you wives can, can relate to that. I heard one person say marriage. We're talking about marriage this weekend. Marriage is like a deck of cards. At the beginning, all you need is two hearts and a diamond. By the end, you wish you had a club and a spade. And uh, I don't know if that's, your, if that's your testimony or not. I hope not. But uh, sometimes some things can happen. And this, that's why it's a good thing to get re-centered back on some biblical, scriptural principles. If you want to turn with me to, uh, did I already tell you where to go? Judges 13. Judges chapter 13 this morning. Judges 13. I'm going to bring a message to you this morning entitled, Characteristics of a Good Home. 
characteristics, pull some things out from this chapter, and we'll be back um, in, in this passage and the, the next couple of chapters tonight if you come back at 6 o'clock for a follow-up message that goes along with this morning's message. We're going to begin Judges chapter number 13. We're going to begin in verse number 1. Judges 13, verse number 1. The Bible says, And the children of Israel did evil again. <laughs> That's our testimony sometimes, isn't it? We do well, and then like the children of Israel, we mess up again. The children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines 40 years. I like what's about to come, though. Even in the midst of sometimes when we mess up, God's grace is evident. His plan is not thwarted. It says in verse number 2, And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. So we have a man named Manoah, and his wife was barren and bear not. So we have a husband and we have a wife. Verse number three, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, behold, now thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. And then if you will skip down. So now we have a a husband and a wife who've been promised that they're going to have a child, Manoah and his wife, Manoah and Mrs. Manoah, if you will skip down to verse number 24. Would you read verse 24 aloud? Ready? Begin. And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. The Bible says in verse 25, And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtel. We have here what I would call a good home. A husband, a wife, and by the way, God doesn't always choose to bless homes with children, but if he does, that's a gift from God. We have a husband and a wife and a child, and the Spirit of the Lord moving. A God-blessed, God-ordained, God-directed home and family. Do you see it there? A husband, a wife, God's chosen to bless them with with a child, Samson, and that child, and we're going to see some other things in this chapter, that child has been set apart for the work of God and to fulfill God's plan for his life, and the Spirit of God is moving. I I don't know if there's a better description that I would like to have of my family, a husband and a wife and children, and the Spirit of God at work in our family. That's a good home. Now, Spoiler alert, many of you know the story of Samson. It's not going to stay good forever. There are going to be some hardships and some bumps in the road. By the way, the end, God uses him greater in the end than he did his life. And another picture of God's grace and mercy. And if you've got some hard spots and you've got some tough, tough, tough chapters of your life. My wife recently read, she said, all of us have a chapter of our story that we don't want read out loud. Life is that way. There are some things in our lives, and, and so it's not going to, spoiler alert, there's going to be, but right now, in chapter 13, we have a God-blessed, if I can use a New Testament term, Christian home. A, a home that, that's being led of God, father, followers of God, the, the Spirit of God is moving in their home, and that's what I want, a home where God has put His, His blessing upon it, that miraculous gift of the, of the child, and gave birth to this strong man, Samson, that's going to grow, and I want us to look at and pull out a few things, some musings on characteristics of a good home. What do we need and what can we learn from this family that we can apply to our lives that we see in this family, in this chapter? Number one, I want you to see in verse number six, communication in marriage. What are some characteristics of a good, God-blessed Christian home? Communication in marriage. Notice verse number six. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came unto me, 
and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God, very terrible. But I asked him not whence he was, neither told me his name. The angel of the Lord came and said, you're going to have a child. And what do we see? Who is the first person that Mrs. Manoah goes to when God is at work in her life? When God is showing her something, when there's a victory in there, when there's an, some exciting news, she goes right to her husband. I want you to see it. It doesn't stop there. Look at verse number nine, if you will. Verse number nine, it says, and God hearkened to the voice. Manoah, we're going to get there. We'll go back to this verse and I'm skipping through and, and by the end, we'll have given you kind of the context of the whole chapter. But Manoah asked God for something. Verse number nine, and God hearkened to the voice of Manoah and the angel of God came again unto the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, notice this, her husband was not with her. Verse 10, and the woman made what church? And ran and showed her husband and said unto him, Behold, the man hath appeared unto me that came unto me the other day. What do we see? We see a husband and a wife on the same page. They're sharing what God's doing in their lives. They're opening their heart. Hey, she ran with haste. I've got to let my husband know what's going on in my life. There's this communication in marriage. Look, if you will, at verse number 22. Skip down to verse number 22. And Manoah said unto his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. By the way, God was at work in wonderful ways, but it scared Manoah to death. And sometimes the workings of God in our lives can be a little scary. And I see here not only a husband and wife sharing the, the victories and the exciting news of life, but they're also sharing their fears. He's telling his wife, I'm scared to death about what God's doing right now in our family. That doesn't sound like I'm supposed to be the strong husband. No, it's a husband that's vulnerable, transparent. Yes, husbands should be spiritual leaders, but, but part of that is here's what God's doing in my heart, honey. And may I say this? If you're married, a husband and wife, and you're both seeking the Lord, you know that there will be seasons in your marriage where who is the, if I can say it this way, the more spiritual, the more faith-filled spouse or partner will change. If both of you are now, if you're married and you have an unbelieving spouse, that obviously is not the case. But if you have your believing spouse, you're married to a believer and you're both seeking after God and trying to live for him, there will be seasons when you will be full of faith and your husband will be full of doubt. And then there will be seasons where that will change. Your husband will be full of faith and you'll say, I just can't do it anymore. I don't know. There have been times when my wife has seen me break down in tears and what is God doing? And there have been other times my wife has fallen into my arms and told me, I, I just don't know if I can do it anymore. And, and that isn't in our 21 years. That hasn't defined our marriage, but there have been seasons of that. And, and that is why we, we've got to be there for one another and keep, and this is what God's doing in my life. And he tells his wife, honey, I'm scared. We're going to die. God's, I'm glad you're excited that he showed up to you, but, but life is over now. This is it. And sometimes we can, we can misinterpret God's working in our lives and, and we can over-exaggerate those things. And, 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 but, but thank God if God has given you a spouse for that, that you have somebody you can share that with. And what you need to be careful of is if both of you are on the same page of, of the whole world is ending at the same time, that's when you can end up making some really bad decisions and you've got to seek some godly, obviously you've got to seek God and seek some godly counsel. Aren't you glad Moses and God never got on the same page with their frustration with the children of Israel? There were times when God said, what have I done with these people? I repented the Lord and, and, Mo, and, and Moses said, God, don't forget your promises. And then there were times where Moses said, you just may be a babysitter of the biggest adult daycare in the world. What's going on here, God? And, and God said, don't worry, Moses, I'm with you. 
I don't mean that irreverently, but, but, but we, we see in a, in, a, in, a, in a marriage, there are times where you will, you will ebb and flow and, and wax and wane with faith, with trust, with, with confidence. With, that we're humans. We're not robots. And we see him sharing it. Notice what it says in verse number 23 when he shares his fears with him. What it says in verse 23. But his wife said unto him, if the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received a burnt offering and a meat offering at our hands. Neither would he have showed us all these things, nor would as at this time have told us such things as these. Basically, she speaks, she knocks some sense into Manoah. Honey, you're not thinking straight. Aren't you glad for a spouse that'll tell you that sometimes? You're not thinking straight. That God wouldn't have done this. That we're not going to die. God's got a plan. God isn't, God isn't done with us. God has a plan and we see here, we see this, this family that God is blessing and God is using. We see one of the characteristics all through the chapter is husband and wife on the same page. Seeking after God together, sharing what God's doing in their lives, sharing how God's speaking, sharing what they're scared about in how, what God's doing, and speaking truth and faith into their spouse's life. And may I challenge you, if you're a married couple today, may I challenge you to develop, and I already talked about this a little bit on Friday night, but work on that communication. It's so easy after you've been married for some time for you just to become partners in the running of a home. Can I use this illustration? Do you mind, Kelby and Tiffany, coming up here to the platform and helping me? I picked you because you're one of the only couples I know both names of. So come on up. <laughs> Kelby and Tiffany, when they were newlyweds, I had the privilege to have them in a couples class in Northern California for, a, I guess, a few months. I'm not sure how long that was. But how long have you been married, Kelby? Eight years. So you started dating somewhere around 10 years ago or something, something like that. And you know where relationships, all relationships start? They're not going to like me very much and be a little embarrassed. Would you face each other and look at each other? This is how all, it's a little awkward, isn't it, in front of everybody here? You may kiss your bride. No, you don't have to do that. (laughs) All relationships start here. When you're dating, man, you can't wait to see her and share. And it's, you're looking into the eyes and you're, you just, you, you, now we've got FaceTime and all of these things. And, and after a while in marriage, this is, it's, it's this person to person connection. I want you to know my heart and, and you can't wait. And after a while in marriage, it becomes shoulder to shoulder. And we're still together but we're no longer heart-to-heart sharing. We're just now going in the same direction and we are just, and we have lost this heart-level communication regularly and now we're going in the same direction. We're shoulder-to-shoulder, but we're just business partners. We're just making sure the house runs and did you pick up that and practice here and this is going on there? And if you stay here too long, very quickly, or sometimes it's not quickly, it can turn where you start to turn away from each other. The heart level connections get lost. And so what's the answer? The answer, if you see yourself either shoulder to shoulder or back to back, the answer is to get back to where you are daily. And you can, you can be seated. Thank you both. Where you are daily communicating. Here's what God's doing in my life. Turn off the devices. Turn off the TV. And I'm preaching at myself here. Put the phone away and say, how are you doing? What's going on in your life right now? What are you excited about? What are you scared about? What are your dreams? You know, you talked about all those things when you dated. It's easy after you've been married a while to let that slip. Characteristics of a good home. We see communication 
in marriage. It's so easy for things to drown that out for, for whether it's children or whether it's work or whether it's the business of life. There's a book that I mentioned yesterday that I give to every young couple in our church that has a, a newborn baby. It's called Parenting by the Book, Biblical Wisdom for Raising Your Child. And, and, and this author, he says here, he says, after they begin having children, for them to be one flesh means, listen up, he says, no other relationship or enterprise of any sort should come before their relationship with each other. In other words, being one flesh with children means the same thing as it does without children. He's talking about Genesis 2.24 where it says they will become one flesh. The relationships a husband and wife have with their children should not, must not come before their relationship with each other. And the enterprise of being parents should not, must not come before the enterprise of being married. Husband, wife must trump father, mother. With that in mind, after having read Genesis 2.24 out loud, I will ask parents in a seminar audience to answer the following question. Of the time you spent in your family during the past week, what percentage was spent in the role of father or mother versus the percentage you spent in the role of husband or wife? The typical distribution is 90% parent versus 10% spouse, which is the empirical definition of a child-centered family. If, in fact, the the first figure is above 50%, the family is child-centered. The right answer to the seminar question above is no less than 60% wife, husband, and no more than 40% mother, father. And that's acceptable only during the child's infancy when parenting demands are unusually high. Ideally, the relative percentages should be 75% spouse, 25% parent. A 90-10 skew in the other direction means that the typical American marriage is in danger of getting lost, if it isn't already, in the frenetic and rather constant child-rearing tango. That's simply not the way God planned it. To repeat what I said in chapter 1, if you depart from God's plan in any area of your life, you will experience more and more serious problems than you would have encountered otherwise. In this case, we're talking about the single most important of God's instructions to married couples. The nearly universal violation of this one instruction of one flesh is sufficient to explain the profusion of child-rearing problems today that parents, today's parents are experiencing. Keep in mind that many of the problems in question were relatively unheard of before the rise of postmodern psychological parenting. Example, tantrums, defiance beyond toddlerhood, children hitting their parents, blatant disrespect of adults, teen self-mutilation, generally unheard of centuries before. One reason, perhaps the primary reason, the American family worked better in the 1950s and before, and all of the available statistics bear this out, is that most married people with children, even those who did not subscribe to the Bible, were married first parents second. The mother of 50 plus years ago was a wife first, a mother second. Likewise, the father of 50 plus years ago was a husband first, a father second. What am I saying? Characteristics of a good home, if you're married, that is the primary human relationship. And even when children come, it's so easy for our homes to become child-centric. We've got to maintain that relationship. Number two, the second thing we see in Judges chapter number 13, not only communication in marriage, I see here consecration in marriage. Consecration in marriage. Notice what it says in verse number four, Judges 13, verse number four. Now therefore, this is the angel of the Lord speaking, Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. Verse 5, 
For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Skip down to verse 7. We already read verse 6. Verse 7, she's talking to her husband. But he said unto me, she's telling Manoah, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and now drink no wine nor strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. By the way, notice they're getting on the same page on the guidelines of their home, how they're going to rear their children, their parenting philosophy. And it came right from the word of God. The messenger of God gave them their parenting philosophy, but they're, they're talking about these things. They're communicating. Verse number 14. And he says here, talking to Manoah, the angel of the Lord says, uh, of all that I said unto the woman, verse 13, let her beware. Verse 14, she, she may not eat of anything that cometh of the vine, neither let her drink wine nor strong drink nor eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. What, what is he saying? There's something different about this home. There's something different about this child. And may I say to you, we are God's chosen people and there should be something different about the homes of the Christians of Fellowship Baptist Church. There should be some things that we do and don't eat and drink. And we do and don't smoke. And we do and, I don't know if we do, maybe just don't. But we, we do and don't. There should be some things that, according to principles of Scripture, we do allow into our homes and some things we don't allow. And it's all right, teenagers and kids. If, well, all my friends have watched that. How come I've never watched that? They've all heard that. And how come I haven't heard that? And I'm not saying that we're Nazarites, but the application here that God told this home, this home that he had blessed, there are some things that you shouldn't be allowing into your marriage, some things you should shouldn't be some influences you shouldn't be allowing into your lives. And may I say, the Bible still has some things that the Christian has no part in partaking in. And if we want a God-blessed home, there ought to be some consecration. That is a commitment uh, to God that, that I am separating myself from the world unto God, a consecration in our marriage. And that might bear out in our, in our television, in our internet, in our, even in our diet and in movies and in our holiness unto the Lord. There should be some some things that we do and don't allow ourselves to do and our children to do. I'm not talking about a legalistic, you've heard me speak I think enough this weekend to understand my heart, a legalistic Christianity that's just a big long list of rules. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am talking about the need for holiness in the lives of the believers. There should be something different. How's your communication? That first characteristic. How's your communication? My wife told me I only have two problems. Number one, I don't listen, and something else. I don't remember what it was. But <laughs> The other day, she, 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 said, uh, she said, you're not even listening to me, are you? And I thought, that's a really weird way to start a conversation. But that might be you. That might be where you struggle. Communication. Sometimes it's us guys that struggle a little more with that than others. And that, maybe that's not the case in your, in your marriage. But how's your communication How's your consecration? How are you doing? Is, is your home, is there any difference between the profane and the holy? In the words you speak, the way you treat one another, the love you show to each other, the, the, the content you consume, the treatment of your spouse, the treatment of your children, the things in your refrigerator. And again, I'm not trying to be, be a legalistic meddling pastor. I'm trying to challenge us. There should be some things different in our lives. 
characteristics of a good home. And you don't have to turn there. I'll turn there for you. But speaking, Moses speaking to the children of Israel and getting them ready to enter into the promised land. And so many parallels and applications we can take into our own lives. We're not the nation of Israel, but we can learn a lot about the character of God as from the messages to the children of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter number 7, verse 26. He's talking as you're going there into the promised land. He says in verse 26, neither shalt thou bring. And I have in my Bible circled this little article, A-N, singular, N, abomination into thine house, lest thou be a cursed thing like it, but thou shalt utterly detest it and shalt utterly abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. Moses, speaking to the children of Israel, said, don't allow a single abomination into your house because it will have an influence on you. Lest thou be a cursed thing like it, detest it, abhor it. Christians, are we allowing abominations into our house? Are we allowing abominations through relationships, friendships, entertainment, music, whatever it might be, into our children's lives? Consecration in marriage. A child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Communication in marriage, consecration in marriage. Number three, I see here prayer. What was a characteristic of a good home? Prayer. Verse number eight, would you read it aloud with me? Ready, begin. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, let the man of God which thou didst send come again unto us and teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. Oh, it says Manoah entreated the Lord. Pastor Tyler mentioned it at the end of the Connection Group Hour. Dads, let's take some spiritual lead. Manoah here entreating God, please, please would you show us what we need to do? I can't do this on my own. And may I say, the longer I'm a parent, the more I understand it's bigger than me. I had it pretty well figured out when my kid was six months old and I had read a bunch of books. Now that I have an 18-year-old and a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old and a 9-year-old and a 6-year-old, I figured out that I don't have it figured out. And I figured out that I really need God. I was talking to Brother Prater, you, you, right before the service, you were telling me a little bit about your children. Some of the ups and downs and the victories and, the, and, and all of that, we were share, you were sharing, being pretty transparent, sharing some things with me. And you know what he said? It's all God. You and your wife have raised four children and you know what they realized? We did our best, but it's all God. We need God to get into their lives. And may I say to you, yes, don't take, I talked about it last hour, don't take a passive role if God's giving you children, but we need God in our marriages. God, would you help us? How, how's your prayer for your spouse? My wife, she just, she's reading through a series of books on the power of a praying wife and a praying parent. And she said, I want you to read this one, The Power of Praying for Your Adult Children. My wife is challenging me in my prayer. I don't pray enough for our kids. I don't pray enough for our family. My wife really is at this point in our, in our marriage, she's the leader spiritually in that way. And we pray every day together, but she definitely, God has been growing her in that and challenging me to be more of a prayer warrior. Manoah didn't just say, well, God said he's going to give us a kid. Let's, let's go to our peers and let's go to a book and let's go to the internet. God, would you show us what we need? We, we need in our homes, we need family prayer and, and individual prayer and couple prayer. And, and the first thing they did when they found out they had a child was they prayed. They cried out to God. Abraham Lincoln said, he said, I remember my mother's prayers and they have followed me all the days of my life. Or they have always followed me. They have clung to me all my life. We see here, God gave the child, Samson. 
and God taught them how to prepare for the child. God blessed the child. It was all of God. They need a Christian family is too big for us. Only God can change a heart. I've mentioned this. We can modify behavior for a period of time. Only God can transform a heart for a lifetime. God, would you get a hold of our, our family? God, would you bless our church? God, would you be in our marriage? God, would you keep me from sin? God, would you keep me from lust? God, would you keep, keep our minds right? God, would you keep our spirits right? Lord, we need you. Every day we ought to be acknowledging our need for God in our marriages and in our homes. Lord, tell me what to do. Show me how to be the right husband. Show me how to be the right Christian. Show me how to be the right parent. I have a friend of mine. I think they they have six children. Not my friend, but he's one of six. His dad is a pastor. There are, of, of the six siblings, two or three of them are pastors. One or two are godly laymen. I, and one, one just got married. I don't know all, where all of them are at, but last I knew, all six of them as adults are living for the Lord. Doesn't mean they've not been without trials and struggles, but they're living for the Lord. They have a heart for the Lord. And I asked him at lunch several years ago. I said his name. And I said, at this time, this was probably, I was probably been seven, eight, nine years ago now. I had, I had like four kids, 10 and under or 11 and under, something like that. And, and any time I'm around a family, as you mentioned, mark those that, that have maturity, as Pastor Tyler said, I try to do that. Talk to me. Help me. Here's, here's my ages of my kids. Here's how long I've been married. What advice would you give me? And I said to him, Pastor Tyler, I said, now, I know your brother's a pastor and you're a pastor. And I said, talk to me. What do you, what's the biggest thing that your parents did that caused you to want to live for God? And I thought he was going to maybe say, well, my dad preached this message. It was amazing. Changed my life. This teen camp. Well, my dad always had me in church. His dad was the pastor, the the spiritual leader, right? He said, you know what? Honestly, the only thing I can tell you about why God has led to this point, all of us, to seek to follow after God. He said, the only thing I can tell you is I can't tell you how many times I remember waking up and my mom was kneeling at the foot of my bed praying for me. And I would hear her pouring out her heart for me. And I believe, looking back, it had nothing to do with my dad's preaching. And I, I, I don't know if he said nothing to do it. I'm sure that was an influence. But he said, if I had to look back at what it was, it was a praying mom. How are we doing? Praying for the roles that God has given us. You say, I'm here. I don't even have any children. How are you doing? Praying in whatever roles God's given you. We see here communication, consecration, prayer. And then lastly, Lastly, a desire to learn. That takes humility. Verse number eight, we read it. What did he say? Lord, let the man of God, which thou didst send, come again unto us and teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. Look at verse number 12. And Manoah said, now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child? And how shall we do unto him? What is he saying? Help us. We need help. We don't have it all figured out. I had one pastor say, if you think you've arrived, you probably ain't even left yet. Sometimes we don't ask for any, but I got to figure it out. How's your humility? That's one reason we need to come to church multiple times per week. What are we saying with that action? God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I need to grow in you. When we go to prayer, what are we saying? God, I need you. You know, when we pray the most is when things are the most out of our control. And when we pray the least is when we think we have things the most in our control. What is Manoah saying here? I've got to know more. How's your humility? Whatever role, age, or state. Teenagers, how's your desire to learn? Would you teach me how to make these decisions in my teen years? 
College student, are you seeking counsel, prayer from God? Yes, and counsel from wise people. Teach me. Would you help me? Show me at this stage of my life. What do you think about this decision? Go to somebody that's more aged and has more wisdom. And, and, and middle-aged couple, how are you doing? And Have you figured it out? You've been married 10 or 15 or 20 years. Well, I kind of got all the answers. Or, or is there still that craving, that desire? God, teach me and mold me and show me. How do I walk through this season of my life? And my kids are this age or I'm in this new job. I have this new role. God, would you show me? Isn't that what Solomon said? He could have asked for anything. What did he say? God, give me wisdom. I need you. James tells us, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, which give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not. He doesn't hold back. Do you lack wisdom in any area of your life? Have you asked God? For many years, I've often prayed, God, today, give me wisdom beyond my years and beyond my experience. Give me wisdom that I don't deserve and that I don't currently have. Would you help me to know how I should be and how I should, how I should go? What do we see in this, be- really, chapter 13, if you stopped right here, a beautiful family. Husband, wife, miraculous child, spirit of God moving. And we could pull out some other things, but what do we see here? We see parents committed to their marriage relationship. Communication in marriage. We see parents committed to the word of God and the principles of God's word. Consecration in marriage. We see parents committed to their spiritual walk, prayer in their marriage. And they prayed multiple times. And then we see parents committed to constantly growing. Humility. I need a connection group. I need to get back to church on a Sunday night. I need to get in my Bible every day. I need to get that spiritual podcast. Why? I don't have all the answers. God, teach me. I, I need to read my, your word every day. I, we need to pray as a family. What are we saying when we do that? God, we need you. Things got off to a great start in Manoah and Mrs. Manoah's life. Tonight, we'll look a little bit on how a good home goes bad. We'll look at a few characteristics for us to be on guard on in our homes. But I want to challenge you. Is there one of those areas that the Holy Spirit convicted you of this morning in whatever your family looks like. If your family is one person right now, you. Is there an area that God's convicted you? Communication, consecration, prayer, calling on the Lord, a desire, a craving to learn? I don't know where you're at, but let's seek to apply some of these thoughts to our lives where we find ourselves today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Pastor